Roxo Media House. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I have with me, as always, my friend, my co-host, Parker Fleming, and a special guest, noted TCU influencer, Matt Jennings. Matt, welcome to the Purple Theory Podcast. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Matt, you uh, have played a special role in TCU athletics over the last probably 10 years of your life. I don't want to... I don't want to make you give us your CV, but what's been your uh, your background at TCU uh, sports coverage? Sure, yeah, Matt, Matt. Matt, what's your what's your deal? Is what? Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> um, it, 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 absolutely no one of note, um, really ever, but certainly not now. Um, yeah, I start. I graduated from TCU in 2016. I was um, I was sports editor um, for 360. Um, for a spell, worked uh, covered TCU for Rivals, covered TCU um, and the Big 12 at large for um, diehards.com, uh, rest in peace. Um, we worked with Grant there and um, went back, uh, did a little more tr- coverage at Rivals there. And then, and then now, um, just lately, just kind of uh, tweet snarky things and um, write the occasional blog post on medium.com that, that nobody reads. And that's fine, um, you know. <laughs> So that's great. So it's a it's a nice low stakes existence that I've kind of carved out for myself. It truly is freeing to be just a person on the internet. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand that. And and Matt, we're glad to have you here. I'm sure. I mean, between the mentions and the DMs, we probably between Grant and I probably talk to you about most of the TCU stuff we talk about on this podcast, anyway. So glad to have you back. And and I will I will shout out um, the last time we had you on, I think was 2020. Um, when, when I think things started to get bad, like capital B bad off field. (laughs) And I only really remember this podcast well, because I was a novice in terms of how we deal with audio and I was under a blanket. I, I, I was trying to record (laughs) and like dampen and you and Grant just ruthlessly made fun of me for being in the dark under a blanket. (laughs) Yeah. I vaguely remember this. I remember, um, yeah, 2020 feels and, like nine lives ago, but yeah. Yes, yes. And and we were, the other thing that I remember about that podcast was you specifically asking me on air, like, oh, are you going to write your season preview this year? And I was like, no, I don't have time for that. And then like, you, you can, like shout out to Parker for, for making me think about it. I was like, maybe I do want to do that this year. And so then I like rushed to finish it before the season started. And I was like, well, I made Parker a liar, but it's, uh, but here it is. Um, hey man, no, bullying yeah, works. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bullying, bullying is bad and you shouldn't do it except when you're doing it on the internet to accomplish um, things that you want to happen. <laughs> you would know that better than anyone, Matt. Um, yeah, I remember the podcast as well because I tweeted a screenshot of Parker under a blanket and he texted me and said, please delete this. No, <laughs> and I was no, like, okay. You didn't tweet a screenshot <laughs> of me under a blanket. What happened was I was sitting on my floor with a blanket over my head and I had a beer in my hand. And what I did to move my computer was put my beer in my mouth and bite down on the edges. And you took a picture, a screenshot of me with a Coors Light shoved halfway down my throat and posted it on the internet. So um we'll talk about that off air <laughs> neither here nor there 
that's that's not that's not that's not a uh, that's not a paid product placement that's not a sponsor I don't know. We give them free advertising because Max Duggan gives them free advertising. We try to be consistent with what Max wants. So we're just, we're just (laughs) falling in line there. Um, Grant, what are we, what are we doing? Why do we have Matt on the podcast? There's no game this weekend. Why are we podcasting at all? We are talking to Matt because Matt, I think is one of the more sound and reasonable voices uh, in the TCU. And I hate this term Twitter sphere. So I'd like to get a reasonable opinion maybe to bring me down to earth, maybe to bring our listeners down to earth, or maybe just to confirm our biases. Matt, this is a very generic question. You can take it in whatever direction you want. What is your opinion of the TCU football season this year? How much time do you have? Um, no, as much as you want. <laughs> it's like an hour my, to 45 minutes. Whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. Sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> My opinion is that, and I, and I think this is an opinion that's shared by a lot of folks. I think they have, I think TCU has had a phenomenal season, one that um, is like far, far beyond anything that you could have reasonably expected. I think they've overachieved a lot. Um, but I think they have also capitalized on a lot of untapped potential that we've, that y'all I know have been pining to see um, um, come to fruition for the last, you know, two, three years. And so uh, it's, it's been, I'm very high on this team. I think they have improved a ton over the course of the year, which I think is something that I kind of take for granted or, or don't even think about really over like uh, when it comes to college football, I, I, I make them, I think, um, an instinct of mine that is wrong that is that is that I need to correct for is that I kind of think that kind of what you are at the at the start of the season it kind of is I don't I don't allow for as much variance or, or mm-hmm. much change as you would with a sport like maybe like Major League Baseball or the NBA where like there's a there's a much larger sample size I think I underestimate like how much a team can change or improve over the course of a college football season and this team I will say that has um grown and improved even if like the margins at the earlier part of the season especially against like Oklahoma and stuff like look probably look more impressive um but I think the team has become far more complete and um uh and 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 has been tested in much more significant ways in the back part of the season and I don't think you can throw that away so I'm I'm very impressed by the team I'm very impressed um by by what Sunny Dykes has done in year one um I think there's just like anything, there's a whole bunch of circumstances that came together to make all this possible. I don't, you know, you, you play the season out a hundred times. I'm not sure how many times you end up with, you know, a spot in the virtual title game, a spot in the playoff, but they, they taken advantage of every single opportunity. And it's been the most fun I've had in a college football and a TCU football season with the exception of 2014. And now they're in the playoffs. So pending what happens next, maybe that gets amended soon. I'm Can amazed I, you got uh, through oh, that. Right, right. Sorry, I was just a joke. I was. I'm amazed you got through that without saying the name Max Duggan. But go ahead, Parker. <laughs> yeah, Max well, has well, been look. so good. It's been so good. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to what that. have we been saying for like four years at this point now? It's just and like, I'll, hey man, he's a four-star recruit. He's very talented. Just set up an offense for him, and he's gonna do fine. Like, and that's always and, 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 and I'll say this to give y'all your, you know, give y'all your flowers. You know, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm in a a group text with, with Grant and some other folks that we used to work with the diehards. And we have, have, have poked fun at Grant for a while um, or had 
past tense, poked fun at Grant for a while for the for the Max Duggan um, love, the Max Duggan man crush. And, um, you know, in context at the time, I felt justified in those opinions and I feel like they were right. Um, but I think I undersold what y'all were saying, which was that um, in the right situation, um, his ceiling was higher than we probably expected. And that was absolutely true. Um, I came into the season very much thinking that Chandler Morris was the guy and that he was the right, he was the right fit. And obviously like with no way of knowing how things would have turned out if Chandler Morris had stayed healthy, but Duggan has been incredible this season. Another, another instance of like seeing growth and development, even over the course of the season has been really, really cool to see. Sorry, Parker, you continue on your, on your point though, on, this, I've never been wrong take about anything, <laughs> and I appreciate you being here for this. And 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 I've said this before, and I've said it again. Grant, I am working. I've talked to someone who has done something like this before. We're going to do the hate and ass retrospective. Oh, we're yeah. going to do the victory lap. That's this is not that, but we will do that off. We will do that non-recorded, and everyone will enjoy it, and we'll we'll let people be on there, and that'll be great. But um, Matt, Max has been great. Like Matt, when they ran the against Iowa State fourth down first drive, they ran like the play action pop pass. That was a touchdown. I was just like, this is everything I've been saying for the last four years. Like, all we had to do was this. Um, I I want to talk about because again, we don't I don't want to get too deep in this because I don't think it's productive for any of us. But like Matt, I think you and I particularly had some very um intimate windows into the Gary Patterson experience. What is Sonny Dykes in your opinion? Because Grant and I have pontificated on this a lot. What what has Sonny Dykes done in your experience in, in your experience that is just been better for this team than where it was the last couple of years yeah I think another answer where it's like how much time do you have I think the the things that stood out to me before the season and I think these have remained true the things that are the most different are the 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 often the, the offensive just philosophy right and and flexibility it's not even that he's married to a particular philosophy i don't think the offense that they're running this year is the offense that they necessarily even expected that they would be running this year right um and i would say that that's the biggest thing is the is is the willingness to be flexible when it comes to the offense i think people expected that sunny dykes um being you know on one of the you know primary branches of the air raid tree thought it was going to be more, um, you know, 50 passes a game kind of, you know, dink and dunk down the field all the time kind of thing. And to his credit, and I think this is what all the best kind of air raid adjacent coaches have done. This is what Lincoln has done. Um, this is what Sonny has done. This is what the, the Bryles tree is a very strange offshoot of the, of the leech mummy tree, but it is, it is part of it. Um, they have iterated on and, and, and created variations on that, um, that kind of base offense, right? And I think that's what Sonny has done this week. Uh, you know, he's already done it in the past, but he especially done it this year, like a willingness to be like, you know, the vertical passing game that they have is not always something that's a staple of like a Mike Leach offense, right? But they're taking advantage of the personnel that they have. Um, all the gap runs that they're doing, as opposed to a lot of a lot of air raid schemes are very just, you know, inside outside zone health heavy. Um, all the gap running schemes that they're running in addition to those is stuff that's not always present in that kind of offense. Their just willingness to lean on the run game is something that's not super present. Which is important to note. I'm just only only going in for like the lowest common denominator of the, the person who's listening to this podcast for the first time. 
TCU heretofore has been, we're just going to run inside zone when we have numbers. We're going to run inside zone when we feel like we don't have a passing advantage and we're not going to do anything innovative in the run game at all. And that's kind of the new generation of the air raid that Garrett Riley has drawn on and done this. That's, that's so refreshing this season, in my opinion, is just like, hey, not only are we not going to limit ourselves to one kind of run concept, but also we're going to limit our, we're, we're not going to limit ourselves to one kind of run philosophy either. There's just been so much diversity and Kendra Miller has done a great job kind of um, uh, being able to, to thrive in, in, in all of those different situations. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's helped him. It's helped Amari Mercado have, uh, have a super senior year Renaissance, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's helped Max Duggan. It's helped the whole offense. The fact that Riley and, and Dykes have that flexibility has been huge. The, like I was listening to an interview that Sonny had, I think it was on, it was, it was on uh, Mike Golick Jr.'s um, podcast. And he was talking about um, coming in to the program and, and what were the things that they like, what, you know, what were the things they were changing? What were the things that they felt like were strengths of the team, yada, yada. And he was talking about like, oh, like we came in and we realized that this is a, this was a team that had a real um, toughness and physicality to it. And we didn't want to lose that. So they practice in certain ways or have schemed the offense in certain ways to try and maintain that. Whereas if it was something that maybe Sonny had built from the ground up, that personality may not have been there. That kind of play calling may not have been there. And so that's what I'm talking about. Like this willingness to like recognize what's the personnel that I have, what's advantageous to me and let me lean into that rather than saying, well, this is just what I believe is best. And I'm going to do, you know, square peg round hole kind of thing. So I think that's the, the thing. It's just the, the willingness to try out new things, be flexible when it comes to the offense. Um, I'm curious to see two, three years down the road, what this, what this scheme looks like. If it, if it takes on a totally different personality, once he starts getting a chance to get quote unquote, his athletes in the door, what it looks like. But um, that flexibility um, is the thing that stands out to me the most, at least when it was, especially I should say um, in contrast with the previous regime, like Gary had his, his, he had like a two year stretch in 2014, 2015, where he was like, I'm going to try something totally different. And I guess the three years. And then once we got to 2016, you and I talked, y'all talked about this with y'all when I was on here last time, they got to 2016. And as soon as that philosophy that he was trying something new with started backfiring on him, he hard, hard pivot Mm -hmm. into, into what he was comfortable with. Right. And, um, and so like that really like clinging firmly to just what you feel like is best for, for you or what you, the way you want to play the game, that's not there right now. And that's, I think the biggest thing, there's other stuff, ancillary stuff when it comes to branding, when it comes to um, just openness, which is also, that's nice to me that I like, um, but maybe not quite as, uh, maybe not quite as like of a root cause of like what we're no. well, right now. It's, it's fun. It's fun. And it's, it's not a root cause, but that's kind of my question for, I, I guess, both of y'all is y'all have been around this program for a long time. Parker, you were here, I don't know, in, in 1980 or whenever you were here, but y- y- y'all have been around for a long portion of the Gary area. Um, you've been familiar with them. This program seems to be a lot more open. It, it seems that the vibes have really changed around this program. And God, I know I hate that term talking about vibes changing, but it does seem that there is a different atmosphere around this program. So Matt and Parker both, I mean, what it, it, like it, it's tangibly different, right? Like I'm not just making that up. 
Like it is a different aura, correct? I think that I, I made this claim on Twitter and I stand by it. I think that like one of the large reasons that Trevon Boykin wasn't invited to the Heisman ceremony in 2014 was TCU's um, willful um, aversion to media access. And, and I think I also made this point um, that, you know, like Texas tech this summer got so much good press because Joey McGuire just said, Hey, show up and I'll walk around and you can write an article about me. And TCU has never done that ever. And Sonny Dykes knows how to navigate that well. Like the fact that Sonny Dykes went on that Barstool podcast for 45 minutes and told stories about him and Dana Holgerson going and getting drunk. Like I can't even fathom that from a TCU coach. And just generally the, the, the media environment has been so different. Um, And just saying like, Hey, we're going to celebrate our guys is something that TCU has never done. Like even the bare minimum. And I think that has a lot to do with why Max is on a national stage, why why Riley is winning awards, why 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 Dykes is winning awards. It's just because TCU says, look, a lot of these awards are not just based on how well you played, but also on on who who noticed. And and they've done a really lot. Uh, they've done a lot there to really make that count, uh, which which they have not done in, in past seasons. I would agree, and I would add to that. It gives you, I don't know. I feel like at least it gives you more margin for error. It gives you more leeway, right? When the last few years, Gary coasted for a while on the goodwill that he built up during the Rose Bowl and the Peach Bowl seasons, right? Because everyone was just like, look at this like beautiful, like little, little school that could kind of story, right? And then, but then, you know, you keep having, and, and so that gave him the goodwill and the cachet, I think, for like nobody to really question as TCU's winning five games, six games, not really capitalizing on the opportunities that it had in the Big 12. But then you have some off field, let's call them unforced errors, um, and you have some just weird either like staffing choices or you have game management decisions that that don't go well um you don't get as much benefit of the doubt if you don't have a positive relationship with the media so it's just like it's a utilitarian thing if nothing else from sunny dykes of of realizing like it's gonna benefit me if i let these folks do you know just have you know throw a bone to the local the national media um and, and and give them what they want Gary had his reasons for not doing that. Gary, because he chose to act this way. He chose to read absolutely everything about of the coverage of his upcoming opponents. He chose to watch everything. He, you know, he had people, you know, watching whatever behind the scenes footage of other people's practices that other teams put out. And so he viewed that as an advantage for him. And so he chose to not, he believed he, he, he would be wrong to give that advantage to anybody else, which that was his prerogative. Um, I would argue. If I'm telling you, I'm telling Iowa state. Correct. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the, the old adage, right? I would, I would gently say that um, this has been the most open and the most accessible um, uh, that TCU has ever been. I don't think it's really affected the, um, I don't think anybody's garnered anything of note that they have been able to uh, turn into a winning advantage against TCU this season, right? I mean, no. the, the fact that like, this is just a small one. Like from the uh, from the playoff, the react the the team's reactions to the playoff rankings getting released mm. on Sunday, um, 
you know, they were, they did a cut up of everybody afterwards and they openly showed Darius Davis, like in like a wrist or hands kind of cast, like as he's like reacting to the thing. And I'm like, that never would have like flown with uh, under Gary. It just wouldn't have ever happened. Um, or like, you know, all the Carter boys stuff, you know, you can, you can see the people who are in red jerseys at practice, right? Like that just never would have happened. Um, but it creates, it's a trade-off because you get, you get to create this energy and this excitement yeah. in the fan base where you have sellouts every game. It also helps when you win. That's the big thing when it comes to attendance, but you have all this fan attention. You have all this fan engagement on social media. You have um, people coming to write glowing uh, profiles right. of so, Sonny. You get to, ha- he gets to go on podcasts with Mike Golick or with big cat and PFT and the whole thing. And um, you, 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 and then, the goal that Sonny I think ultimately has there is we turn this attention into drawing the eyes of better players, um, getting more um, traction in the NIL space. And, and with the goal of parlaying that into better teams and better players down the road, right? Like it's all, it's all has a purpose. It's not just like, well, this is nice. Yeah. Well, and that's like, you make a great point, Matt. Like I, I, I've thought a lot about this. There's a Grantland article, RIP Grantland, um, from 2015 written by Chris B. Brown, who, uh, wrote, you know, uh, smart football, great author, buys books, yada, yada, yada about Gary Patterson's defense. It's, I think the one article that PCU allowed in probably three years, that was an in-depth dive into what Gary wanted to do on defense. Whereas you look now, Richard Johnson, um, friend of the podcast, uh, who's been on before and has written, I mean, he was at the big 12 championship game, wrote about Max Duggan and was in the broom when TC found out they were going to the playoff. They're so much more open. They're so much more media friendly. You're right. It doesn't affect the on-field performance, but it affects the national perception of TCU. And I don't know if it affects the voters. I don't know if it affects pollsters whatever but it, it it does make an impact in terms of the national perception of the horn frogs and so i i just think that's really important matt i do want to delve down a little bit into more specifics we've talked about max we could talk about max for hours and please call me and we'll talk about max for hours on this offense quentin johnson's obviously the star kendra miller's been fantastic but who, who are kind of the hidden guys? Who are the, kind of the guys that have surprised you this season um, that you didn't expect would play such an impact uh, going into this year? You know, there's, you know, there's a few of them. I think Amari is one of them. I think Amari DiMercato, I mean, Grant, you, you remember me, you know, texting you last year about just like in a rage about the fact of like Amari DiMercato, like getting, meaningful snaps in games <laughs> over Kendra he's Miller like, or over he's like Jack Beetlejuice Evans, right? if you say his name three times and say what the hell is he doing out there then he runs for a touchdown it is right. so yeah. funny like the the group text we have with like it's like Grant and Melissa and Jamie and Colin or whatever it's like uh, you could set your watch to us being like why is he already getting a, a a touch here and then him scoring a touchdown like it's immediately yeah. after someone says that yeah and, and, and that's the thing is like you know he got the touchdown in the Colorado game it was like oh, okay that's nice that's cool whatever and then like he keeps doing it. Like he like, he had a he had a key touchdown against Texas Tech. He's gotten he like helped 
um, uh, 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 run down the clock and, and also like bulldoze somebody against Texas. He's like yeah. getting like meaningful yards, meaningful first downs, meaningful touchdowns. Um, and, and had the, what would have been the game tying score against Baylor. Now then he drops the two pointer on the next play, but uh, it all, he's, he's a better receiver on the whole than, than Kendra at, at least as of this moment. Right. So just like, and it's just so weird to see a guy who's he's a fifth or sixth year senior at this point make that sort of jump, right? And so mm-hmm. that would be one that I would point to. The other one I'd point to is Darius Davis, honestly. Um, because yeah. Davis yeah. last year it was just like I he had some nice plays, but on the whole, like with the exception of like return the return game on offense, like it seemed like he couldn't get out of his own way when it came to like just like really having trouble with like ball security or just like ball handling um on like those sweeps or, or or you know dropped passes and stuff and he's made some clutch catches he's made difficult catches he has been able to get the ball in space and just like burn people um in multiple instances this year stuff that they just like really had trouble doing in, in years past um and he's played his way probably into being an nfl draft pick if if if, if as a return specialist if nothing else um which is so again just really really cool not something that i was expecting um the other one, even in season, I think the one that surprised me the most, because early on in the season, I was like, oh, okay, he's done. Dracore Spivey. Um, Hell yeah, man. The season had a couple drops, and I was like, oh, okay, he's kind of like, he might have played his way out of his playing time. And now he's become like one of Max's like go-to targets on third down, um, where he, he makes like, he makes a catch between three guys and gets like bulldozed on on like third and four on a regular basis. And he makes the catch like every time. Um really really cool and um so again another instance that there's just that, that growth and development over the course of the season um i think you're right grant like having guys like quentin kendra or max and these big you know the big names who draw the attention but if you're gonna make a run like they've been making you need your role players to step up in a big way too and they have had that at every turn um to this point this season um which so is so fun yeah it's very fun um Man, I I don't mean this to be a leading question. I'm asking it, it no, as, as a. No. <laughs> have you have you have you noticed how important how important it is to have a offensive line coach? Um, a, a good offensive line coach, yeah, yeah, or an offensive absolutely. line coach at all, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been it's been really. Um, I think there are legitimate criticisms to make of, of the offensive line at times this year, particularly on the edges um, sure. as y'all have waxed poetic about to this point. Um, but the it's night and day from last season. It really, really is. Um, the amount of time that Max Duggan has in the pocket, the amount of um, space that they're creating in the run game. And yeah, I think run blocking specifically. Yeah. I, I, and I think the, the thing that I never would have ever pegged this team doing is they remind me stay with me here for a second this is going to be a niche reference uh that maybe is only only rings true for me they remind me of like the 2008 to 2010 ish atlanta falcons in this that what they what though that era of the mike smith atlanta falcons love to do is this Steven Jackson era? Who, who no, it was Michael Turner era. Michael Turner. Oh, God. They would okay. lean on you for four quarters, and then suddenly Michael Turner was bulldozing people and breaking off these, these long runs in the fourth quarter, and that's what they're able to do with an offensive line that last year I think everyone would have said 
you know, we joked about it preseason. I was reading somebody's um, preseason preview for this year and talking about, and they were talking about the offensive line being a position group of strength for TCU coming into the season. And I was like, um, okay. And that felt very much like that was what the coaching staff was kind of like crafting the narrative going into the season. I felt, I felt like I read that in a few different places, but to their credit, they have largely been right because they have been able to wear down, wear down other teams, hit, you know, get those body blows in over the course of three quarters where, um, and then it pays off in the fourth quarter where they're able to start breaking off big runs. They're able to, uh, you know, either churn out the clock in a four minute drill if they need to, or, you know, Kendra Miller break it off a 70 yarder against Texas um, when they desperately need that as well, especially if the passing game's not going right. So, um, the first game where they really weren't able to do that was Saturday against Kansas state because Kansas state was the first team that was really able to kind of control the line of scrimmage against them like all year, um, which is wild to think about. Um, so yeah, shout out to AJ Ricker, shout out to the whole offensive line group. I think they've been really, really stunningly better than they were four, a year ago. Four out of five of them have been consistent, productive college <laughs> football offensive linemen. And one of them at times has been okay, which I'm, I'm very comfortable at saying um yeah well I, I think about matt too just just stuff i mean grant's also here so i could say i think about matt and grant um like the knock on spivey last year was just like he just doesn't know the place and just like can't get involved in the offense because they don't trust him to run the place and clearly there was some kind of install issue there you think about jared wiley coming in and his skill set that's so diverse um grant and i have talked a lot about how every it felt, it felt like we had so many capital G games this year where it was the Darius Davis game, the Quentin Johnston game, the Jared Wiley game, the Kendry Miller game. And just that's never been true of TCU before. Like think about 2021, we ran the ball or passed the ball 11 times against Texas Tech in a 52 point win, like a 52 point game where we won by 20 something um, or like Kansas in 2020 where you know, Carter Ware caught a touchdown and God love him. Carter Ware is one of our friends and a guy we really like, but like very much not a receiver and just, just how crazy and, and disjointed and, and honestly desperate the team seemed where it was like, we don't know how to, how to score. So we're going to do everything possible to minimize variance and get the desired outcome. And that that's going to leave you coming up short. And this year there's just this like hunger and defiance in TCU scoring which has been so refreshing um, just every week for me. Just I, I, I'm like every week anew, I'm just taken aback by TCU saying, oh, actually our plan is to score more points than the other team. And that's how we're going to win, which has just not been what TCU has done. Not only score more points, but score more than just one more point. They have won games by one. <laughs> have, they had, have they had games where they scored by one? They definitely had at least, have, have had at least one game where they won by two, but um but yes they they were like we don't need to just just get by we we don't need to just do the minimum um to, if, to your if point, tcu to had played outcome. win by one this season they would be a seven and five team i'm very confident yeah. maybe maybe, maybe. Yeah. best case scenario um yeah. okay we've talked about offense a lot um i Okay, we're not going to let Grant talk about Bud Clark Island because he's tweeted about that too much already. And so we're going to put Bud Clark off the table. I'm going to claim Josh Newton as someone who entirely surprised me, as in someone whose name I didn't know before, like, the third game of the season. And not to toot our own horns, but, like, 
Grit and I do pretty in-depth reviews. We talk to people who are at camp and everything, and this was just not on our radar at all. No. Uh, Josh Newton being an all-conference cornerback uh, there and and just being really, really great. Uh, Matt, defensively, guys that surprised you, even, even if you want to go philosophy first and then we can go guys after that. On the defensive side of the ball, huge shift from the Gary Patterson defense, not just from the four down to the three down front, but the the principles and the tenets and the implementation. There's no more yelling and screaming and sweating on the sidelines trying to get the play call in at the very last minute. What what are your thoughts on the defensive vibes on players who made the most impact here? Yeah, I think I, I wrote about this in my preview at the beginning of the, uh, before the beginning of the year. There are some common threads between what Gillespie does and what and what Patterson does, um, but but it was it it was always going to be a big shift. Um, both because you know teams, you know it's like players. It's like being asked to write with your, you know, you're right-handed, you write with your right hand forever, forever, forever. And then mm-hmm. suddenly a new, someone new comes in and says like, Hey, you have to do all your work with your left hand. Right. And that was what I was kind of viewing this transition to, a, to a brand new uh, defensive, not just primary like base personnel package, but like scheme on the whole. Um, the um, is, and it's going to be uncomfortable and there's going to be some growing pains and it's going to take a while to, to get comfortable and good at it. Right. And, um, and I think, again, we've seen that growth and development in season, which was not necessarily something that I expected to see. I thought like we got whatever, four games in and I was like, okay, this is what they are on defense. They're going to just get by. And they've had games where the defense has kept them in games or just flat out won the game for them. Right. Like, uh, you know, against Iowa state, against Texas, to some degree against Texas tech, like the defense won those games on, on some level. Right. Yep. And so that was not something that I ever expected to see this season. Um, yeah. Newton was one that I was like, I'm, I frankly, am a, am a big fan of Keon Stewart. Um, I think we're all of the opinion that like Noah Daniels has shown flashes at times, whatever. Keon, um, Keon Stewart is like the hot girl in middle school where I didn't know her and I didn't love her, but I love the well, idea uh, of her. <laughs> I I, like, where are we I going with this? The, the purple theory podcast. That's a quote. Look, all right. I can't be I can't be responsible if you guys don't know the office deep enough to understand why that's okay. Funny, all right. I just wanted to make sure that was just wanted to make sure that was above that's, board. That was above board. That, oh man. Um, but that I'm was above board. My, he yelled as HR find... dragon <laughs> screaming out of the office. Come on, Parker. We talked about this for like a half hour. Um, <laughs> the um. Newton again another player where it was like early on in the season I was like this might be a little rough and it was because of the whole I think uh, Newton was suffering from like like Kevin White's syndrome of like teams are going to throw away from the name that they know from the corner that they know and so he was getting a ton of targets early on and especially Oklahoma State was the game that I think of in particular where it was like oh like this isn't like we might have a problem here and he has grown and developed and gotten better as he's been forced to face a really like high volume of passes. And he's gotten way better over the course of the season. It's been really spectacular, honestly. And, and okay, hold on here for a second. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to hold your, hold y'all's feet to the fire on something that you said like three months ago. Y'all were trying to tell us. I assure you, we don't remember it, but y'all were I, trying to tell it. folks. I don't remember after which game it might've been the SMU game 
y'all were trying to tell folks, y'all were trying to sit here and say, do we know that Trey Tomlinson is good? I think we can. That was Parker. Say that was, that, that was Tomlinson Parker. Is good. Okay. Because I was sitting here saying, I was like, okay, both like, like through non-conference, like, I don't know why it, it was it, him and Quentin Johnston were like having like mirror experiences. I feel like in non-conference where it was like defenses were, were tilting their whole coverage to Quentin Johnston and offenses were trying to test Trey Tomlinson in that same stretch. And so like Quentin Johnston was not being productive and Trey Tomlinson was getting attacked a bunch of times. And it was a very weird experience where we're like, are either of these players any good? And then we got into the, into the heat of conference play. We're like, Oh, they're both actually very, very good. Um, so that was a fun and vindicating thing for me. Cause I was sitting here. I was like, no, okay. Like, stop, stop it. Stop. No, okay. I, I actually agree. I actually agree with your assessment. And here's what I would say is last year, TCU left him out the dry because TCU could not let CJ Caesar be by himself on an Island without a safety over there. And like, what I, I um I keep on to say Blaine Gabbard and that's not it. Chase freaking Garbers absolutely <laughs> destroyed best game of Chase Garbers entire life against TCU's defense there because they left THG on a, on an island and he didn't know how to respond to it. And all last season he was absolutely drowning, and he compounded it by making more mistakes. I thought yeah. the SMU game this year similar thing because Gillespie didn't know he could trust Newton like he could. And so absolutely still he's on an Island and, and made some dumb penalties against Rashi rice. And, and, and there was a moment there where it was just like, Hey, if he's going to be asked to be the number one guy and he can't do it, we've got to talk about that. And I think that one, I probably overstated that totally fine. I've been wrong about a lot of things and we'll be wrong again, but I will say that I think Gillespie just got a better feel on his defense as the season went along and was able to say, Oh, I know how to kind of, move move around a little bit to make this better for everyone and both of them thrived in that so i absolutely agree that um in the long scope of history that was probably premature and didn't take into account the adjustments that gillespie was going to make well so here's the deal matt parker and i have talked a lot about the adjustments joe gillespie makes at halftime What's what's been your opinion on sort of how he's managed games from, you know, TCU kind of sucking in the first half in a lot of instances, <laughs> and then um, kind of picking up on the back end? But um, you know, football as well as we do. What what have you kind of seen out of Gillespie? Yeah, I think the, the big thing coming into the year was again talking about like the the contrast and the similarities between what he does and what Gary does. The similarity is like and this isn't unique to Gillespie. A lot of teams do what you would call like pattern matching coverages, right? Where it, you know, depending on where the receiver breaks off their route, the, the, the defensive backs like coverage assignment is, is different. Right. And so like, that's something that was a common thread between. So like that, that was something that was probably easy for the secondary to kind of bring over from the next, maybe the assignments are a little different or the, the coverages that they do all the time are a little bit different, but like that's, that's a common thread. But the thing that was really different from them, from, from Gary to, to Gillespie was Gary's was very much we're going to attack the gaps we're going to try and uh we you know he built you know you know going back even to the Rose Bowl this is something that I think Kirk talked about on the Rose Bowl podcast against Wisconsin like the idea of like if you've got a size disadvantage using speed to counter that and they would try to shoot through gaps to create negative plays in the run game it was all about we're not going to be passive we're not going to uh we're going to dictate to you how this play is going to go and we're going to try and fire through gaps and create 
no gain or or negative plays all the time. And Gillespie's not doing that. Gillespie is the spill and kill thing where it's like, we're going to hold our ground against the offensive line. We're not going to shoot through the gaps, but we're going to occupy every single gap to where you have to go to the outside. And I think that was a philosophical shift that the, that the defense had to get used to, particularly the linebackers and the safeties. Okay, maybe not so much the safeties because Mark Perry was, was not here last year, but certainly for the linebackers. So it's a different, it's a different life, right? And so I think they've, again, example of just development over the course of the season. So I think that's the thing that I think they've grown in a lot um, over the course of the season. Like if you would have told me before the year that they were going to be able to hold Bijan to Bijan Robinson to 29 yards, 29 yards in a game. Incredible. Now that's a game management. TCU was going to do better than too. Alabama against Bijan. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's a, that's a game management um, and personnel decision failure on Sark's part, um, which as a, again, as a Falcons fan, we can talk about that. Um, but um but on the whole, like I think they've grown a lot in their in their run defense over the course of the season. The mid to, to get, actually get back to your original question, like the in-game adjustments thing, I think is is interesting. I think I, I kind of posed this on the Twitter space that I was on with y'all or with Parker um, a few weeks ago. I do wonder if teams are kind of throwing like everything in the kitchen sink into sure. like their opening script or their, or their game plan for TCU, because it was, a, it, it is their probably their one of their one or two top 10 matchups of the year. Right. And so you have teams like throwing weird stuff at the wall that maybe that they hadn't shown on film before. And so then TCU has to react to that in real time in game, get into the locker room at half, kind of collect themselves, see what the offense is doing and then create a game plan to respond to it. And they come out in the second half and they're able to kind of tamp down a little bit. I that's my gut of what's kind of happened a few instances. I think the Baylor game is a really good example of that where it's like Jeff Grimes was like and, and God love him was like was doing the most yeah. against TCU, right? Like I I can't I can't get the um um the what, what was it? The 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 two pulling linemen who take two steps one way and like did a pirouette and went the other way. I can't get that move out of my mind. I've never seen a team do that. And like, that's my point. It was point. beautiful. Like, it was graceful. It was and really, the fact really that cool. they were able, like, I understand why they lost to Kansas state 31 to three the week before TCU, because they were putting that shit in. Like they were, they were doing all <laughs> of that. <laughs> right. And so the idea that I, I think that pro I, I would need to go back and watch film more closely. And once we get done, once we get on the season and see what teams were doing. Cause I don't, because I only get a really get a chance to watch teams closely when they play TCU. And so I can't compare in season what they're doing at CCU versus what they do all the time. But that's my gut instinct is that teams are like, let's throw them a bunch of things that they haven't seen before and try and get out to a lead, which is, yeah. which has happened a few different times. And then the defense makes their adjustments and is able to kind of limit the bleeding in the second half. And then the offense obviously like hits a couple yeah. explosive plays and then, and then it ends up being, you know, a TCU win in so many instances this season. Right. And so I think that's a credit to Gillespie that the wheels don't come off when they had, when they face that early onslaught and that they're able to make those adjustments in game. Um, impressive. Um, I would like to, I am just like, I, I'm going to finish a sentence here. I promise with both Sonny and with <laughs> Joe Gillespie, I'm really interested to see what the team looks like in like two years because 
obviously they have their ideas of what they'd like to do on both sides of the ball. And they're making the best, they're making the best of a situation with a roster that they did not pick and with a roster of, of players that maybe don't fit exactly what they want to do. Right. And so I'm curious to see once they kind of, this is true of every coach, but once they get kind of their guys in, but like really like once you get a personnel grouping of, of linebackers and defensive linemen that run the three, three, five Gillespie's three, three, five, the way you want, what does that look like? And what's the ceiling yeah. on that? And maybe it's worse. Maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah, I maybe, maybe it doesn't work out. Um, but I think the early returns on, again, that flexibility and being able to adapt to the situation that you were given is a, is a mark in his favor. Um, very impressed by what I've seen thus far. Um, especially when, you know, you have a real, you have a real monumental legacy to try and follow up. Sure. I think it helps that TCU's defense cratered so much last year. Like the expectations were really low coming into this year. It I think could, it would have been much it could harder. Not for, have gotten, it could not have gotten worse. I, yeah. like, that's the thing. No. That, the only time that, this is, that we've gone against y'all's like very common adage of it can always get worse. It, it literally could it not literally could not have gotten worse um, this year. And so I think he was benefited from that. But yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah. So, so here's the thing, Matt. You, you talk about two years from now. Personally, as I sit here on – Wednesday, December the 7th. I couldn't care less about two years from now. I, I, I want to talk about, <laughs> I want to talk about New Year's Eve. I want to talk about TCU versus Michigan for a minute. And I, I'll be honest with you, Matt, you probably know a lot more about this game than I do. I, I, Parker, I don't know about you. I don't want to do a preview at all. I want to talk about vibes. I'm not even talking looking about, at my numbers. I ran them I'm today, but I'm never going to look at them. Yep. I looked at them and it may be sad. I want to talk about emotions. <laughs> Matt, what are your emotions going into TCU versus Michigan, the two to three playoff seed to play for the national damn championship game? I'm, I'm, oh Lord. Oh, Lord. I'm just like, I'm, I'm floored as we, as we talked about, I'm floored that they're in the situation. As, as I've said this a bunch of times over the course of the season, like, everything going forward is gravy. Like once they got to like eight wins, everything beyond that yep. gravy, right? It's all, it's all extra, right? Sorry. And so they could come out and get the doors blown off them. And honestly, like, I think that'd be fine for two reasons. One, because they've, they've already achieved far more than what you would have expected. And two, they, um, you know, blots in the playoff semifinals are very common. So I don't think it would be an indictment of TCU, you know, talk about Ohio State or Clemson or Notre Dame or um, Alabama. Honestly, all sorts of teams that have lost by multi by by multiple possessions um, in semifinal games, and it doesn't. No one impugns the quality of those of those programs or condescends to those programs about that afterwards, right? And say that oh, they didn't actually deserve to be there. Um, you know, and, and so I, I that could happen, and I think. That's, I won't, not sure if I say it's a likelihood, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a possibility and I'm not going to be sad about it. Like it has been an amazing ride. I will say, I think that TCU, like in terms of vibes, like, I don't know, I'm talking myself into TCU doing what they've done all season against this Michigan team and like getting themselves, like just being in position in the fourth quarter, and like I like, I like TCU's chances. I'm not picking them to win necessarily, but I like TCU's chances. If you're in a, 
you know, a 10 point game in the fourth quarter. I, I just like this TCU's teams, this TCU team's ability to navigate Hell that yeah, situation because they've done how it. Many, okay, Hell yeah, brother. Let me just ask a real question. Let's just get very real for a second. How many, how many college football teams right now have a better option than Max Duggan throws it to Quentin Johnston? Like, very few. Uh, I very mean, few. I, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like you, Ohio State? That's embedded to Brock, uh, what's his name? But, Brock Bowers. Yeah. Um, hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. And I do think this, and the other thing we we're talking about vibes, this was the matchup that I would have preferred. My, my, For sure. My fear heading into Sunday was obviously possibly dropping to five and then putting Alabama in at four. I thought that was an absolutely a possibility. My other fear was them dropping. Sorry, you weren't moved by Nick Saban's Saturday night presidential address where he appealed to <laughs> Vegas to fix I his was, problems i wasn't moved by it but i thought that there would be people who made decisions i was very worried me, right? Right? i was worried and so that was my prime that was my biggest fear my second biggest fear was dropping to four and having to play a georgia team that has put teams through the wood chipper yeah. all year right um the matchup that i that you wanted of the options right i think uh of the options that were available to you was to play michigan not because michigan's a bad team michigan's a phenomenal team but in terms of matchups wise, Michigan, I don't think is going to boat or is not as capable of boat racing yeah. you as, as, as Georgia is right. Because um, they're just, at least until the last couple of weeks have not shown the ability to just like, um, you know, light, them, yeah. you know, light a fire on the offensive side of the ball. Right. And so that's the thing that I think makes me feel better at this game if you end up in a game where it's like in the low 20s in the fourth quarter um cool like then you're like you're in striking distance i like i don't i'm are in a situation where it's like it's 21 nothing at like midway through the second 100 percent sure um but that would that would not be a typical thing from this michigan team yeah, uh, our, our former co-worker, Shehan Jayaraja, now of CBS Sports, made the point that TC is basically... Ah, I heard he was going to boo at your funeral. Oh, like, he will. I, just, I heard. It, it, that's a joke. I will outlive Shehan if it's the last thing I do. He he made the uh, the point that basically TC is Purdue if Purdue was 10 times better at everything. Um, and so I kind of like TCU's chances against Michigan. Matt, we have to get you out on one thing. And we're going to do a roundtable on this. Every guest we have on this podcast, we ask them to say one nice thing about Max Duggan. <laughs> and, this, and this is the first time that we have recorded since Max Duggan has been named a Heisman finalist. I'll go first. Matt, you can go. And Parker, you can close us out here. The video that TCU posted, it was perfect, I think was the caption, um, where it was the slow-mo of Max running down the sideline, diving into the end zone, set to uh, Billy Bob Thornton as Gary Gaines' speech during Friday Night Lights, made me feel things I've never really felt before. Actual um, tears. Actual, actual tears. tears. I, I had dinner with my mom last night, who is not a football person, does not listen to this podcast, God bless her. And even she was like, I, I've never like liked a college athlete more than I've liked Max Duggan. Um, I All I have to say is that uh, we were right. I feel like my kid is graduating college. I'm, I'm getting teared up talking about it now. I am just so happy for this freaking kid. Matt, please stop me from uh, crying <laughs> on the podcast. No, please cry on the podcast. I, I joke, you know, I have always been like an easy mark 
for things that are supposed to make you cry. Like, like I am a hundred percent the person in the audience of whether it's watching a movie or a TV show, like the moment that's supposed to make you cry is going to make me cry. Right. And that has uh, become exponentially more the case um, since I've had children. Right. It's just, you, you become a, you become, Humble a, big, brag. You become yeah, yeah. a big softy. Right. And so a hundred percent. So, so yeah, like the, the, the Friday night lights, um video like killed me uh, like i am like uh, ac- again actual tears it is saying nice things about max duggan i am i I'm, I'm i'm becoming a broken record as i say this but i'm floored by the amount of growth and development that i've seen from him the things that i've seen him do this year that i thought would never be reality with him the ability to the, the improvements in his accuracy, the ability to throw the ball downfield uh, it, vertically with accuracy, with touch, things that I never thought I'd see him do. The ability to- Into freaking, make, I'm so glad that I said freaking, I'm glad I censored myself, into windows that into has never windows. happened. Into right. tight windows. Into tight windows, making like really- smart decisions he's got i guess with the one on saturday is it three interceptions or four interceptions on the season right mm-hmm. like a, a total like a total that i never thought he would hit unless he was throwing like 10 passes a game right yeah. never thought he would be able to with the volume that he's throwing limit the turnover worthy plays the way that he has this season um making good decisions with the ball but also still being able to be explosive um the I will say the thing about Saturday and the thing about that video that, that, that it reawakened something. He's been this new version of himself all year. Saturday against Kansas state was like vintage Max Duggan. It was like a part of of a way of him playing that we haven't seen him play. And I think that's by design. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they've like, we, they wanted to keep him healthy for a full season. And so they're like, we, we're asking you to stay in the pocket more. We don't want you to scramble as much. We're asking, we're not going to run design quarterback runs or option plays as much because we just want to keep you healthy for the duration of the season. And, but when the chips were down in a key moment, he willed the team to uh, into a tie and into overtime with what he has always been really good at, which is finding a way on the ground. Um, and that was really cool to see. It kind of unlocked something about the offense that I don't think Kansas state was ready for. And I'm going to sneak in one last thing about the Michigan game. Um, as, as, as the last part of me, just like waxing poetic about him, I'm so impressed by him. I'm so impressed by what he's been doing. And I think that instance, uh, that last drive in regulation on Saturday was it's not a blueprint, but it's something that I think you have to do against Michigan because you've been saving him for the whole season been trying to keep him healthy and keep him back from doing that. You are now in a one game season. And if you win that one game, then you're in another one game season, right? You're not saving him for anything else. There's nothing left after this. You use all your options. You empty the clip. You give him the green light to say, you get to read three. You don't see it. You scramble, you go, right? You, you, you give him the green line of like, we're going to run QB power. We're going to run the read option. We're going to run the inverted veer. We're going to use your legs and make the other team account for that because 
that's the one aspect of the offense that I feel like has been there, but only in name all year. If they can make Michigan have to account for that on top of all the other stuff they've gotten so much better at all year, they have to account for vintage Max Duggan on top of that, that unlocks the ability to do some, some special things. And yeah. I, that's, the, that's one thing that I want to see Garrett give them the green light to do against Michigan. Matt, that is more, yeah. That is a more nice thing that anyone that any of our guests have said about uh, Max Duggan. Parker, it is your turn. I'll open the floor to you. I've cried twice in my life. Once when I was seven and I was hit by a school bus. And then again, when I watched the Max Duggan Heisman highlight video narrated by Billy Bob Thornton portraying Gary Gaines from Friday Night Lights. Um, yeah, we're going to take a victory lap. This isn't it. That's great. And again, I was wrong. I did. I literally have said, I don't think he'll ever win the Heisman. Um, but I have long said that like Max Duggan, if you can't design an offense that wins with Max Duggan, you can't design an offense. And, and I was very vindicated here. Um, in the, I'll, I'll wax poetic. This is going to be old man yells at cloud for a minute, but, uh, but bear with me. Um, in an age where, um, NFL draft projections and bowl opt-outs are dominating the headlines, Max Duggan is a refreshing reminder that college football is a game of stories and a game of individuals rising above what you think they can be, rising above their career earnings, rising above the preconceived notions and boxes into which you place them, and uh, and just playing football, goddammit. And that is what Max Duggan's doing this season, and you'd love to see it. That sounds it up. He reminds me of, I was joking with some folks uh, over the weekend, you know, there's a picture of him you know, get in motion on the sideline after the loss. And I sent it to some folks and I was like, I'm going to tell my kids that this was Tim Tebow. Cause it feels like he is like, we haven't no. had no, no, but I'm, I mean that as like the highest possible compliment. If you Tim know, Tebow had a cannon, if Tim Tebow had a cannon was, <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, wait, I, but you know, I'm, but hold, Tim, hold on. Sorry, Matt. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm breaking news right now. This is the important as, as your former boss, you should respect this. Okay. Sonny Dykes just got named coach of the year. I just got the email. That happened well, like six I, hours ago. What are you well, doing? It was, Walter, it was the Walter Camp one, and then I he. he I just got the me. email from Mark Cohen. Just now was it the Walter just now? Camp one? Yeah. yeah, he 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 got he got that one. Well, Matt. Okay. Well, that's why. I, but no, he and he deserves anyway, it. He deserves, he deserves it. it. I thought we like, were breaking news. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and he and I think I think everybody will really be shocked uh, on Thursday morning when they hear this. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> Um, but no, Wait, Matt, I mean, no. I mean, let me finish my point here for just a second. Please, um, please do. Sorry. Sorry. Like you, when, when hear what Parker's saying about like the stories, right. And about the narratives and about, um, you know, rooting for the person and that kind of thing. Um, Duggan is kind of made in that. It feels weird to call something from 2008 old, old school, but kind of old school mold of the quarterback of where um, he's the, He's the the leader that the whole team rallies around. He's like super deferential through all the, you know, and I don't think that necessarily makes him a better person or anything like that. I don't, I'm not bagging on anyone who is more of the, the oh, swaggering or the flashy thing. I think all the TCU fans who are bagging on Caleb Williams this week, I think need to go like, like take a walk, right? Like relax. Like that's my thing. I, I, I think that's all misplaced aggression. Um, but I do think it's just 
he is playing quarterback and, and, and kind of, you know, representing himself in a way that's just like really uncommon these days. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that that's better or worse. It's just like something that I haven't seen a, a, a quarterback that's in his position do in a, in a hot minute. And that would, I'm not saying it makes him better than, than other folks or that, or that like, that's something that I'm like pining for, but it's, it's cool to see because it really does come across as so genuine and so sincere. He does it in like the most earnest way. And um, it's just really fun to see a guy who really is by all accounts, someone who wants to see his teammates succeed, wants to see them get their flowers before himself um, to see him, finally get this level of recognition it's very very cool um is he gonna win on saturday almost certainly not and that's fine honestly um i was telling grant i think if they had scored if he had scored a game winner in overtime and they had won i think he would have locked it up for himself honestly um i don't think that's gonna happen now um but the fact that he got himself into that situation and now he's in the playoff with a chance to he would tell you um achieve a goal that's more important Yep. Very cool. Yeah. His, he, he, his best bet is that Stetson Bennett and Caleb Williams split the vote and he wins that. Yeah. And, and that's a real possibility. That's realer than I thought it was. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll make a comparison um, real quick and then we'll, we'll take us out here. I, he reminds me, uh, this is my own biases of uh, Marcus page, the point guard in North Carolina um, who in 2016 um, when he, anyway, that's that's my greatest comparison. Grant, um, no one, one cares. Literally, no one time. cares about North. Carolina. Oh, I care about it, and and I care about it. Damn it, uh, Parker, Matt. This has been the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm Grant McGalliard. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. Spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. He's Parker Fleming. He is at Stats of War. The Bet US Show airs noon Tuesday and Wednesday on YouTube. And Matt Jennings is at Matt Jennings on Twitter. You can also find him on Medium, where he is an essayist. Um, wait, did I get that wrong, Parker? What happened? I thought he was Matt A. Jennings on Twitter. That is, is it that Matt is A. Jennings? He is Matt A. Jennings. Matt A. Jennings on Twitter, where he is an essayist. Matt the Kingmaker Jennings. Matt the Kingslayer Jennings. And a Bond Vivant. At Matt A. Jennings. Apologies to our guest. Thank you for joining us, Matt. I hope you hope you're well. Everyone, go frogs. Go frogs. Go frogs. <laughs> <laughs>